Welcome to the Truth and Liberty broadcast. We believe we have a mandate to bring godly change to our nation and the world through the seven spheres or mountains of influence. To further this cause, we give away a product every week that will empower you to get involved in changing your life and changing our world. You can register for our weekly giveaway by subscribing at truthandliberty.net. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly updates on guests, news, and much more. This is an interactive live cast and we welcome your questions. To ask a question during the live cast, use the comment or chat features. Now get ready to dive into this week's topics with our hosts on location in Colorado, USA. Hello and welcome to our Monday night Truth and Liberty live cast. I'm Andrew Womack and we've got Richard Harris here. He's our chief counsel. He's a blessing. Man, we've been doing some great things that we can't tell you about, but it's awesome. And then we've got uh, Tim Barton with us tonight. If you've heard David and Tim Barton, David is the father, Tim's the son. And I tell you, these guys are national treasures. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. And uh, they are just um, well-versed in not only American history, but constitutional things. And so we're going to be talking about some things tonight that I think will really, really bless you. But Let's go over to Richard first and have him share with us about how you can get involved and participate in this. All right, well, thank you, Andrew. And it's uh, great to be on with Tim tonight. And I agree 100% National Treasures, that is so true. Well, uh, folks, if you haven't checked out our website, I really encourage you to do that. And you need to do that even if you have before. Go back every so often because we're always adding new resources and new information there. So truthandliberty.net, just go to the resources page and you can find uh, useful information. Uh, just added are some links to some voter guides here in Colorado, but there's also uh, voter guides that are going out through our friends at iVoterGuide for other states and places in the country. Coming up this November are some really important school board elections all over the place. And even some states like Virginia have off year elections for governor and lieutenant governor and things like that. So be sure to check out those resources on truthandliberty.net. And uh, also we've got some events coming up here at Andrew Womack Ministries that some of my favorite events of the year. Uh, the first one is, now this one's not my favorite because I don't go to it, but Women Arise <laughs> is a great event from you what I've heard. You are confused about this. No, you? sir, I'm, I'm clear as can be on this okay. one. I will not be there. <laughs> but there are some great uh, uh, speakers there, including Audrey Mack, um, and Carrie Pickett are both going to be ministering, and they are both fantastic ministers in their own right. Ladies, you will not be disappointed if you um, uh, carve that out and make time and be there. It'll energize you and fire you up, and you'll be blessed. Also, The Heart of Christmas, our annual uh, play uh, that's uh, written by Robert and Elizabeth Murin. Uh, this will move you, it'll stir you, it'll remind you about what it is uh, that makes Christmas so special, but more importantly, the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us all. So check that out on on our website at awmi.net and that's on December 10th through the 12th and also around that same time the 16th through the 19th is uh, the second year of our live nativity and this is a real treat for the whole family just uh, check that out on our website as well but there's uh, horses and camels and donkeys and there's a a Roman soldier on horseback, and it's just awesome. And, uh, and we've got about $100,000 worth of lights up. Oh, my goodness, and that's so going to be great. Really good. It's always been pretty in the past, but that's what? We're adding to that's it. That's a double or something. I don't know. That's going to be awesome. December 16th through the 19th, so check that out. Um, 
If you're not a subscriber to Truth and Liberty, I really want to encourage you to do that. Just go on our website and click subscribe, share your, your email with us, and we'll be sure to send you our weekly, sometimes two, twice a week, uh, updates on important news, uh, blog posts, and, and things like that that'll help you to be equipped and stand for truth in the public square. And uh, if you subscribe uh, tonight, you'll be eligible to receive our free product giveaway that we do every week. Last week, uh, Chris Weems, you won Excellence, How to Pursue an Excellent Spirit, one of Andrew's uh, really great books. And this week, we're giving away another great book. Of course, all Andrew's books are great, but this one is How to Find, Follow, and Fulfill God's will. I tell you, we don't, you don't, one of the questions you get all the time as a pastor is, how do I know God's yeah. will? And I can't mm -hmm. figure out what God wants me to do with my life. This book contains some incredible wisdom on how to discern that because God definitely wants you to know His will. So subscribe today, be eligible for that. And also, uh, this is an interactive broadcast. We want to hear from you with your comments and questions. So be sure to post those uh, if you're watching on our website, which we encourage you to do. If you're on Facebook, you might want to jump over and watch directly on truthandliberty.net so you won't be censored. But post your questions and comments there in the live chat feature. If, you're, if you want to stay on Facebook, just do it in the comments section there, and we'll do our very best to get to those tonight. Uh, also, uh, Truth and Liberty is supported by the generosity of our members. And if you're not a Truth and Liberty Coalition member, if you want to make a difference in your finances, become a member of Truth and Liberty tonight. I promise you, you'll be making a difference. We've got some amazing plans here. We're already, God is already doing great stuff uh, through this organization, and I know it's just going to get better and better. So you can become a member on our website by signing up to make an automatic recurring contribution of $5 or more per month. And uh, uh, it's super easy. And if you do that, we'll send you a free gift in the mail. Our free gift right now is Alex McFarland's book, The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. Great book. It'll stir you up, motivate you, and uh, you can share that with your family and friends as well. And then last thing tonight is uh, if you need someone to agree with you in prayer, I, I encourage you to call in to Andrew's Phone Center, and the number there is 719-635-1111, and Spirit-filled, Word of God-trained prayer ministers are standing by to agree with you in prayer and encourage you to take advantage of that tonight. That's all I've got, Andrew. And let me uh, say that just yesterday we started 24-7 on our phone center. We've been 24 hours a day, five days a week, and then 11 hours a day on Saturday and Sunday. But now it's 24-7. Wow. So you can call if uh, something happens at 1 o'clock in the morning. You can call and we'll be there to pray with you and help you. And I'm really yeah. excited about that. Yeah. So we got Tim Barton with us. Man, we love you, Tim. And Appreciate you. Uh, for those of you that don't know, David and Tim Barton are the ones that run the wall builders. I think uh, Tim is the president, right? Yes, sir. And uh, it says that you live in Weatherford. Do you live in Weatherford I or Alito? Wall builders in Alito. My wife and I live in Weatherford. Okay. And anyway, uh, if you haven't heard them, please go to wallbuilders.com. I tell you, they have the greatest resources on American history. All of this stuff about the 1619 Project, critical race theory, wokeness, and all of that. They've got enough ammunition on their website to kill every one of those things. It's really, really good. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And so tell them just a little bit about what Wall Builders is before we get into discussing the stuff. Yeah, so we, we spend a lot of time with American history, and we say we try to present America's forgotten history and heroes with an emphasis on the religious, the moral, the constitutional heritage. We have what's considered to be the largest private collection of original documents from American history. We have more than 160,000 items and artifacts um, from American history. So things from literally um, back in the era of Christopher Columbus coming forward. So everything doing with American history, uh, we have things that enable us to tell the story. And we live in a culture, um, and guys, I know y'all talk about this a lot, where people are just so dishonest about American history, where yeah. they say things that historically just aren't even close to accurate, mm -hmm. but because people don't know history, they believe the lie. And so what we try to do is explain the truth of history. And, and we even tell people that we encourage people. And in fact, when I was teaching in class today, I told people, hey, everything I'm going to tell you, don't take my word for it. And the reason is because truth is not scared of being questioned. We, we've studied, we've researched the documents, we know what's there, so we're not scared for someone to challenge us and go back and research and find the same thing we discovered. It's only lies that try to silence the truth because if they don't suppress those questions, if they don't suppress the truth, their lie is exposed. Uh, and so what we try to do is, is just present the information before people that you can read and study for yourself. Uh, and that's a lot of what we try to do with the story of America. And your dad and Chad Connolly are out traveling right now. What are they doing? Yeah, normally my dad would be here with us while we're up here for this week at Harris, but uh, he and Chad Connolly, and I, there's several other people involved, they're traveling around the nation. There's about 38, I think, congressional seats that they identified. Mm -hmm. There's many seats that will be vulnerable to be flipped in this midterm election, which God help us, we definitely need to flip some of those seats. Um, one of the very sad things we were talking about with some of the students in the, the practical government school today was normally we take a trip with Washington, D.C. We take the mm -hmm. students and they get to see Washington, D.C. Well, right now, Nancy Pelosi has Washington, D.C., at least the Capitol building, the congressional offices on lockdown, shutdown. So individuals can't go and see, right, the people's house. They, we, we can't go petition Congress for redress of grievances in person. You have to send an email. So a lot of things don't make sense. And so hopefully, God willing, this midterm election, we have different leadership and therefore different opportunities. So my dad and Chad are traveling around the nation speaking, doing about three things a day, a breakfast, a lunch, and a, a evening service, largely for pastors or inviting faith community. Um, but they've been on the road. I, I think they've probably for about 40 days, about 35 of those, they've been on the road um, wow. doing two or three times a day. So just crazy. But this is one of the reasons too, that we're encouraged because we see how many people are showing up. They're, they're motivated. They care. They care about the school board meeting. They care about the city council. Mm -hmm. right. and, and I know, Andrew, we've talked about that. We think there's some evidence that maybe we're in a third grade awakening. And for you, it's not just the evidence. God spoke to you. Mm. So it's different. But we're seeing it firsthand as we travel the nation. God's waking people up. Mm. And let me mention for everybody watching that I had Tim and David on my television program. We taped it like a month or a month and a half ago, but it'll be airing on the 16th of November through the 24th, I think it is. And we are talking about all of this wokeness and critical race theory because we're coming up on Thanksgiving and there's a lot of people that honestly are not thankful anymore for our nation. They're ashamed because they've been lied to. And mm -hmm. I tell you what, we mm -hmm. have some of the best information you mm -hmm. need to get it. And uh, Tim and David are also writing in my November newsletter and you'll read some of their articles. I think Richard's got an article in there too. Yeah, I think I do. It's <laughs> awesome. I tell you what, it's going to be a, I'm really looking forward to the November newsletter. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we've got the television programs coming out. I think it's seven programs that I did with uh, David and Tim Barton and it's just awesome. Yeah. 
So my first question, let me ask you first of all about this mandate for any company that has 100 or more people because that affects me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. And what are the fines? Isn't it like $70,000 per instance? The president said 14. Yeah, so it was well, but they upped it. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah, that's well, what they started with. So, and, and <laughs> here's what's interesting about this. So right now, the reason there's confusion is because there is no mandate. It's only been by press release, which is an interesting way to do mandates yeah. Yeah. Um, because what's happening, we, we know that there's a lot of issues with big tech. We know there's a lot of issues um, with uh, some of these big corporations and kind of the Marxist socialist direction they're already leaning, encouraging in what they're doing. And so they use the press conferences as the excuse to say, well, the president said it, we have to do it. Mm. Right. But just because the president says something doesn't, doesn't mean it was an actually an executive order. And executive orders, by definition, only apply to the executive department, because that's who the president is in charge of, the executive department. So it can impact the military, it can impact private contractors or those who specifically work in the federal government. But for every private business, the federal government does not have the power to mandate or dictate for private businesses. But again... All right, but since it's not even an executive order yet, correct. some people are already being expelled from the military? Well... It is something for the military, it is something for private contractors, and it is something for federal government employees. That is something he has stated that, so it, it does impact that. So he doesn't that. have to uh, do an executive order, he just says it and they have to obey what he's what it, Well, where he, he did not give an order was for private businesses. There was an order for his department, for the executive department. So, oh, okay. so that does exist, but this is where there's confusion because you have, right, you have airlines now that airlines are saying, well, we have to have these mandates and it's right, it's the president doing it. Or we could pick any major corporation, arguably, who's kind of leaning that direction. And they're pointing to the president's statement as the reason that they're required to do a mandate. Well, the president's statement doesn't have the force of law. And just to clarify, let's say that he did give a mandate, right? And what we know is probably he's going to use one of his health department somethings, and they're going to come out with an order for the, the good of America that we're going to do this scientific-backed health mandate. That's likely not going to hold up in court. It, 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 you might have some liberal judge somewhere that upholds it on a state level. It's going to get appealed all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court's going to look at that and recognize the federal government or one of their agencies does not have the constitutional authority to enact a mandate on private business. Okay, so we fought the government last year and filed two lawsuits, and basically uh, the governor wrote us and said, you know, we'll leave you alone if you leave us alone. And so that's where we stand, and they aren't even asking any questions. It's like we don't exist, which is wonderful. <laughs> but uh, even if the governor doesn't try and enforce any kind of a mandate, he's talking about uh, weaponizing OSHA Correct. against us. And OSHA, is I've heard a lot of things about them. You just don't mess with OSHA. They could shut you down. It, it, is, it is a major challenge. Again, I think this is something that when you look... <laughs> One of the great ironies is they say, let's follow the science. One of the problems with a lot of the statement of follow the science is generally they're referring to social science. Mm. This, is, this is a super interesting thing. <laughs> Which isn't thing. science. No. 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 Right, because what we're talking about, but this, this is genuinely very fascinating in my mind. If you look back historically at all the times someone said trust the science, mm. every time someone said trust the science, pretty much without exception, it was a social science. Right. Because you have back in the era of the Civil War, right, Supreme Court mm. leading up to the Civil War says, right, blacks aren't really people. They don't have rights that the government or white people need to recognize. You have Charles Darwin coming out. 
all of this follow the science kind of nonsense and talk was largely social science. Well, here's what's interesting about now this COVID thought of follow the science is what science are we actually following? Mm -hmm. Because the science that is out there is not supportive of these mandates they're giving because what we know, right? I mean, today we and heard- I've heard the president say it's proven, it's safe, the <laughs> vaccine and everything. Mm -hmm. That's just totally a lie. Right, on lots of levels. Um, looking big picture, okay, they, they believe there was an acceptable loss um, when you give the vaccine to that many people, they think, right, there's going to be a small percentage of people, there's an adverse reaction, there's an acceptable form of loss in their mind for something like this. But here's what's crazy. The reason you would get a vaccine is so that you don't get COVID, so you don't spread COVID. That's right. And yet they're telling us that with the vaccine, you can still get COVID and spread COVID. And, right, even looking at Colin Powell, yep. who just passed away, who had the vaccine Fully vaccinated. and was not protected from COVID with the vaccine. Now, I'm not at all a vaccine denier. I am a questioner of this because it's not even properly a vaccine. As we're saying, this is a vaccine. It's not properly a vaccine. And I'm someone who's already had COVID. And what they're telling us now with all these independent studies that are peer reviewed is you are healthier and right. less likely to suffer any negative consequences if you've had COVID than if you have the vaccine. Again, with this being said, this is what's interesting and why there could be challenges in court to some of this OSHA stuff because they're saying, no, this is just for the health and good of the people. There's a scientific basis to challenge that. And when people say, we're not supposed to challenge this, that's the very nature of science. Science is questioning and challenging. That used to be the nature of science, but now you don't question. It. Well, it's the nature of true science, but not social science. Yeah. Do you think it has anything to do with money? You think there's any money behind these vaccines? <laughs> you it mean, might, might be helping define what science is. You, you mean last year when like 30 or 40 billions of dollars were going to, yeah, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies right. who were doing this? I, I, I can't imagine they're motivated you know, I, by I that. I heard that three of the top uh, wealthiest men in the world now are people associated with this vaccine. They moved into the wealthiest people in the world. Imagine having a contract that everybody in the world has to pay on. I mean, that's a lot of money. Right. And you come out and say, well, it only lasts for just a short while. Now you're going to have to have a booster. This thing is open-ended. Well, and this is where also you see a lot of money involved in that. Now, with this being said, I can imagine there's already people listening and they're going, wait a second, what are y'all saying? I think there's probably evidence. What we see statistically is that people that have had the vaccine, when they get COVID, generally speaking, they, they don't suffer the same level of consequences. In fact, they don't get as sick at times as other people. And they, they call it carrying a caseload. The caseload can be down. Generally speaking, that can be true for individuals in certain age brackets and with certain pre-existing conditions or lack thereof. But if you look at people that are generally 50 and younger, that are generally healthy speaking, they're not at great risk from this anyway. And so when you start talking about the fact that we're now telling children who yep. are in school that they have to get a vaccine to something that the flu is deadlier, just statistically, the flu is deadlier for them than COVID is. And we didn't ever require the flu vaccine, right? right? We put that Rand Paul video on our website. Yes. So it's on our uh, Truth and Liberty website. You need to go see that. And I tell you, Rand Paul mm -hmm. just decimated this but, but uh, what was his name? Health and Human Services? I can see his face. I'm sorry, I don't remember his I name. I think it's Becerra. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. he asked him, he says, are you aware of the Israeli study that shows that 77% of the people hospitali hospitalized with COVID are people that are fully vaccinated and that it's proving that they actually are a better carrier of the 
uh, virus than people that are unvaccinated. And boy, he let him have it. Yeah. It was well, awesome. And this is one of the interesting things, too, is, is we talk about government and government involvement, government mandates. It used to be that our founding fathers acknowledged you, you as a leader, you never want to make an emotional decision as a leader. Right. The, the notion of our government, the Congress, uh, the House representatives, the Senate, it was supposed to move a little slower. So it wasn't just the whim of the people. The reason we're a republic and not a democracy was a democracy can be led by the emotions, the whim of the people. Right. The reason that Barabbas was freed and Jesus was crucified was the emotions, the, the whim, the will of the people in that moment. And we said, no, 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 we want to make sure when we do policy in America, our policy is not being led by emotions. But what we are seeing now is people are being dishonest about the very conversation of what is science, of what is the vaccine, of, of what is the actual, the, the reality of people that already had COVID, that have the antibodies or whatever the case might be, but we're being dishonest and fear is being the number one motivator for moving forward with some of these mandates. And this is where the founding fathers would have said, wait a second, we, we don't make decisions based on emotion. We want to make decisions based on what is the most logical, what's the most sound, what's the most factual, reasonable, whatever else. And so certainly they would have looked at this and said the federal government has no role in this pretty much whatsoever. And, and some people point to, wait a second, but George Washington, right, back in the American Revolution, he actually had a mandate where he required his soldiers to get a smallpox vaccine. And actually the vaccine back then was even a little bit different because uh, not the vaccine. Not well, an experimental they would, deal. and it was even an early vaccine. They like cut their arm, right, and put a little bit of the, they would take someone who had like little pus pockets of smallpox and they would cut it open. They would take some out and they would put it or inject it into someone to give them actual a small dose of it so they could build a natural immunity. But you're also talking about the smallpox epidemic. If, if you look at different towns and cities, it was different for every town and city, but you had towns and cities where 20 up to 50% of the town died from smallpox. And Washington realizes like if that hits our military, we're having a hard enough time fighting the most powerful military in the world in general. We can't lose up to half our military and still survive. That's not the statistical reality of COVID where you have more than a 99% recovery yeah. rate. It's a very different thought. But again, this is where people are pointing back and saying, but Washington did it. It's a very different set of circumstances. And on top of it, one of the things that's interesting, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily an anti-vax person. There are several vaccines I've had in my life. What's different is most of those vaccines have been around for decades and decades and decades and decades. So you know what long-term consequences are. If someone says right now, well, what's the long-term side effects of getting COVID? No one knows. Why? Because this is only six months to a year and a half old of this shot, this injection people are getting. No one knows what's going to happen going forward, which is why it makes sense that some people would be hesitant to want to take this, not knowing what would be the long-term repercussions. And they just had two weeks ago some uh, vaccine or medication that was approved after a six-month I mean, six-year trial, that's what it used to be. This mm -hmm. is like nine months. And, and six-year would still be fast yeah. because there's some that were 10, 12, 15 years before they finally got approved. Well, Matt Staber was on the show a few weeks back, and he was saying that, uh, I, when was it, back in the 70s or whatever, they had some new vaccine come out and rolled it out, and there were 50 reported adverse incidents, and they canceled it. They revoked yeah. the approval. Here we've got on VAERS... There are, last time I checked, which was weeks ago, there were well over 10,000 deaths and over 100,000 uh, injuries yeah. reported. And it's a subjective reporting, you know, but still that's got to be but, a but cause the, for yeah, there, there's reason never for people to... There's never been more negative side effects than from this vaccine. Now, people could argue, but there's never been more people taking a vaccine than this one. So, so maybe there's a balance there. Nonetheless, 
every other vaccine before this, right? Any, any other shot you would take, if you had this many negative consequent side effects, and it's also worth noting that people that die within two weeks of getting the vaccination are not counted in those reports wow. because they don't consider them to have been fully vaccinated. And therefore they say, well, no, we think they just died of, of COVID or complications. It's not really from this injection they got. So incredible underreporting in the midst of that is what's widely speculated. And overreporting of people that get COVID. Correct. That's right. So it, they're manipulating, it's political. It is. So you have, I remember you and your dad telling me on one of my TV programs about the Spanish flu epidemic. How did they respond to that? And that was something that had over a 90% death rate versus a 99% recovery rate. How did the U.S. respond to the Spanish flu? Yeah, and I think it would depend on where you look at as to the percentage of the death, but unquestionably, like you had, you had millions and millions and millions and millions of people around the world dying from this. Unquestionably, this was one of the most deadly pandemics. Now, deadly as far as the sheer numbers it took out. If you go back to um, like the yellow fever epidemic yeah. or smallpox, as far as population percentage, there were times it killed more of the population. But as far as just a sheer number of people, Spanish flu was incredible in what it killed. And yet, when you look at arguably one of the most progressive presidents in our nation's history, the guy that forever changed the course of America was Woodrow Wilson. And so much of what is bad in America today started with the legacy and presidency of Woodrow Wilson, uh, just a lot of progressive movement following out going forward. Woodrow Wilson was a president when the Spanish flu was going on. And even that incredible liberal racist progressive president did not view it as the federal government's job to intervene in this scenario. And actually it wasn't even a lot of states that got involved. It was local government because you had towns where you have up to 90% of people getting this and it's decimating a town. And so they would, that town would go on lockdown. But that actually makes more sense when you're having 90% of the town have adverse reactions to this thing. But it always was something that it was never federal. There was one or two governors who kind of got involved, but mostly it was mayors who got involved. And they said, hey, we're going we're gonna to shut things down for a little bit just to kind of figure this out. What's also interesting is in the midst of those shutdowns, there were a couple of pastors in those communities who said, hey, guys, we need to let's calm this down. Again, this was a real pandemic. There were pastors involved, but pastors were never required to shut down. They voluntarily shut down, and then they opened back up as soon as they were ready to. The government never told churches what to do or not to do, but it was handled at the local level. And this is so the intervention from the federal on on this has unprecedented, unprecedented, never happened anything. Like no, that. and this is where when you look at the Constitution, and, and Richard, I mean, <laughs> you know this very well. The Constitution gives 17 specific enumerated powers between the Constitution and then things in the Bill of Rights of what the federal government can do. Right. And what the founding fathers were very clear about is if the, the Constitution doesn't give the federal government the authority, then the federal government's not allowed to do that. And that's why. And it even says that in that in a different language. Correct. In the 10th Amendment. Yeah. yeah. Correct. But you can't do anything that's not given you in this Constitution. Correct. Yeah. Ninth Amendment talks about the rights of the people. 10th Amendment talks about the rights of the states. And whatever is not specifically given to the federal government belongs to the power of the states. That's awesome. Yeah. We need yeah. a rebirth of that we concept, do. don't we? We do. Yeah. I think Nancy Pelosi needs to get the memo on that one. Well, if, if we could just get them reading the Constitution, that would be helpful. Yeah. I, I'm not sure they know what's in there, but yes, that'd be a good start. So anyway, going back to us, they're going to find me $70,000 per instance or mm. something and stuff. Can uh, they don't have a constitutional right? No, they do not. Do that. And so should I resist this on the basis of the First Amendment 
religious freedom or should I just come against the Congress that you don't have the right to do this? So it, probably it's going to be filing all the above. And this is what, so one of the things I will default very quickly, we do have an attorney in the room, but also one of the great things about kind of the circle that God lets us run in is God has let us get connected with people like a Matt Staver, yep. right? Like a, a Mike Ferris from Alliance Defending Freedom or right, a, a Brad Dacus or Kelly Shackelford. There are so many amazing attorneys that this is, this is what they live and do, right? Every single day is they represent people of faith when they are attacked because of their positions of faith. And so this is certainly something that, and by the way, for everybody listening, so everybody knows, there are religious liberty law firms that will represent you and defend you for free on the basis of violations of the First Amendment of your religious liberty. Um, one of the things that we have seen right now is actually there's a, a, a big situation going on where um, President Biden has talked about there are some Navy SEALs. And there's actually, we've heard there's about 200 Navy SEALs um, that have said they don't want to get the vaccine, which they're young and they're healthy. It makes sense they might not want to get the vaccine because if you're in your 20s and early 30s, generally speaking, you don't have a verse effects from COVID, generally speaking, unless there's underlying conditions. But if you're a Navy SEAL, you're the best of the best and you're incredible elite physical shape. You're probably going to be okay from this thing. With it being said, President Biden says that they don't get the vaccine, that they are no longer deployable and they might be demoted from special operations. And actually they might be dishonorably discharged from the military and he might require them to pay the federal government for all of the personal and private official training they received because Navy SEALs are some of the best trained military individuals in the world. And he said, well, if you don't get this vaccine, then we've just wasted all our training on you for nothing. Now, first of all, you can't backdate what you've done and make them pay you back because this wasn't a condition when they joined the military to be part of the Navy SEALs. With all that being said, uh, First Liberty is one of the organizations representing these Navy SEALs. Uh, and, and so I'm using this as an example. There are many of these law firms. I think Matt Staver told us he had more than 20,000 of these cases already filed where they're fighting for people's religious liberty. So whether it be for nurses or whether it be for doctors or military or teachers, whoever the case might be, there are people that are willing to defend you and stand up. But one of the things that, that Andrew, I think you were such a good example of is there comes a time as a Christian when you just have to flex that muscle of godly courage and you have to write that, that Daniel moment when the law says you can't pray to God and Daniel consistent with what he's always done he got in front of his window, yeah. not hiding. He got in front of his window and said, I'm not, I'm not changing. Because, and this was actually one of the very cool things about America's founding, um, where the notion, I mean, pastors taught this a lot, but Benjamin Franklin, when he was asked to come up, he was on, on a committee and they wanted to come up with a seal and motto. Franklin's suggestion for the national motto was rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. This notion that we're not trying to reject godly authority. We're rejecting tyrannical things that violate our God-given rights. And this is where you flex that muscle of courage and you were able to get a victory. Obviously, there was a lot of favor, right? There was a lot of help involved. But had you not stood up, yep. right, you wouldn't have the victory. And today we are just free. Praise mm -hmm. God. It was well worth the fight. Yeah. And let me say to those of you watching that Matt Staver is the head of uh, Liberty Council, and he's the one that mm -hmm. represented us, and they just filed a class action lawsuit. Was this the Navy SEAL thing that you were talking mm -hmm. about? And I just got an email on it over the weekend, and it's like, I don't know, five pages long. I hadn't read the whole thing yet. But anyway, Matt Staver, Liberty Council. Um, man, there's a lot. A Alliance Defending Freedom. There's a lot of those organizations there are. out yeah. there. Pacific so, Justice. And, and, yeah, there's probably even links on the Truth and Liberty website somewhere. There are, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Give a little plug for that, right? Just yeah, get on the website, are. you'll find them right there. Yeah.
But we're just trying to provide resources and they're out there. So that's awesome. Those guys are doing a great so job. So you were talking before the broadcast about Buttigieg or whatever his <laughs> name is being on paternal leave. T talk about this, because I hadn't heard this. This needs to be exposed. So, so yeah, one of the crazy things uh, going on is we know that there, uh, with the midst of inflation, with the midst of all the spending problems, we know uh, there are people who uh, they buy homes and they order stuff for their home and, and they're just put on a weight, right? We don't know. It could be one year, two years. We have no idea how long it's going to take. Well, we'll come to find out there's a lot of shipping containers sitting off the coast of Florida or off the coast of California or wherever the case might be. And they're just sitting there not being unloaded. And, and this is where President Biden came out and said, well, we're going to we're now going to open up these docks 24 hours a day. And, and, and he said that there's a lot more complications that actually that say we'll have to pay overtime for all the people, which will just drive inflation even. Correct. Higher. If he would just take well, away all of these. Uh, what's, I don't think the problem's not the docks not being open. It's there's no workers because. The government, on the other hand, is subsidizing people not to work. So, yeah, so you have labor unions who are demanding more for their people to come back to work. You also are talking about just because you keep the docks open doesn't mean that you have the mechanism of delivery open because you also have a trucking industry that is incredibly understaffed with people to drive trucks. And so they can't get enough truckers to go in to get, pick up these crates to go deliver them. So that there, there's a lot more to this. So when President Biden says we're going to demand the docks to open 24 hours, that's not really the entirety of the problem, if even the problem at all, nonetheless. With this being said, the person who is the Secretary of Transportation, who that's that's part of the job of what they're supposed to do is make sure that this is all working, is an individual named Pete Buttigieg. And he ran for president on the Democrat side. He uh, was openly homosexual and he's just been gone for the last two months and nobody knew where he was and actually I mean, arguably nobody really even knew he was gone. Nobody and, cared. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, it's a little sad. It's kind of interesting. Um, you know, if, some of the best thing that could happen is that they shut down the government. Correct. And stuff, man, that'd be awesome. Yeah, if you're if you're gone from your job for two months and nobody knew you were gone, probably that job is not needed. That's right. Right. Probably we don't need this, but. Uh, I wonder if Biden could take a leave of <laughs> be great. For, for two or three years. Well, I'm not sure he's not right now, but that's, that's, a, different, oh. that's a different story. Um, we just got censored on Facebook. You need to go over to. <laughs> yeah, if you, that's right. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about this, though, is Pete Buttigieg uh, did an interview just a day or two ago where he identified where he's been. And he was on paternal leave for the last two months. Because he and his husband just had a child. Now, he said they had a child. They really clarified that obviously they didn't have the child because men can't have children. Contrary to what, right, 2021 people want to tell us. Yeah, that, that, that's not how this works. So he said he just had a child. And so he's been on paternal leave, paternity leave for the last two months. Now, paternity leave, it's one thing to be on maternity leave, right? When a mom has a baby and her body has to physically recover and then she's taking care of the baby and there's nurturing involved in the baby and, right, maybe the dad needs to be home for a couple days to help take care of mom. Well, Pete might have been nursing this baby. That's <laughs> this is what's so bizarre. Like, you have two men, neither Excuse of whom. Me, I shouldn't oh. have said that, but I just couldn't. Well, but this is the illogical position of it. It doesn't make any sense. Two men, neither of whom physically birthed the child, have been on paid leave. We have been the American taxpayer. We have been paying their salary for the last two months to not show up, to not do their job. He's been on paid leave. During and a then, crisis. Right? Then, yeah. right, in this interview, he got on and, and, and the person interviewing him asked him, okay, so 
there has been a bit of a crisis and you've been gone and he said, well, paternal leave is very important because we know how important families are and we need families. And, and so it was important for me to be home with my family. He said, but actually we're looking at this crisis as if things are bad in America. No, no, actually it's opposite. He says the reason that, that there's issues is because it's not that, that right inflation and, and monetary issues. He says, no, there's so much of a demand People want stuff so badly in America that that's causing these ships to come in with so much product. He says, and the only reason there's a demand is because we have money. And the reason we have money is because President Biden has solved our economic problems. So America is in a better off position in the midst of this crisis. The crisis only represents and reflects how good America's doing. That's literally what he said two days ago in the midst of this crisis where he's been gone for two months. You wonder how somebody could be that dumb and still breathe. But you know, once you start marrying a man, marrying a man, and then thinking that you have a child and you yep. can take paternally, once you cross that line, yep. it's not a far stretch no. to see things totally different. It's well, backwards. When you remove a, the, the objective moral standard of biblical truth, right? And, and every man does what's right in their own eyes, then who's to say what's right and wrong, right? That's just your opinion. And who cares about it, lying? Right, right? Because you, you get Machiavellian where the end justifies the means right. and it's, it's, it's my team winning and, and as long as my side gets to go forward. And this is literally what we were seeing played out before us. It, it's passages from scripture that were not good times in the nations that they were going on in, but this is, this is that idolatry, that sinfulness, that debauchery yes. that we are seeing happen in the nation, but it's happening because we've removed the moral basis and the standard of objective truth, which is why this kind of nonsense is being said. Well, you know, we only have about five minutes before we need to take some questions, but could you just give them a little taste against the 1619 mm. Project, <laughs> critical race theory, yeah. wokeness? What is the true history of the U.S.? Yeah, so, so first of all, the fact that uh, people would argue in critical race theory, uh, what we are literally teaching in many public schools in America is that if, if, if you are white, you were part of the oppressive class. And if you are not white, then you are part of the oppressed class. So you have oppressors and oppressed. The reality is if you back up in history, there's no doubt America had slavery, just like every other nation in the history of the world. However, when you say everyone who was white was an oppressor, you're discounting the fact that when you look at America, at the peak of slavery in America, you, you had less than 20% of Americans who actually owned slaves. And actually that number is significantly less. It's like 10, 11, 12%. But the point is, it's a very small percentage of Americans that actually own slaves. And I know some people say, yes, but much of America benefited from slavery. The point is, we're saying that all white people were evil because slavery one, at one time existed in this nation. There's a lot of context being left out, but let's, let's go even further. When the argument is that America was founded to promote slavery, that's historically inaccurate on lots of levels. If you actually go back and read the Declaration of Independence, but read Thomas Jefferson's original draft of the Declaration. In the original draft, the longest grievance in the original draft was a grievance where Jefferson criticized the slave trade and actually criticized the king for promoting the slave trade. And Jefferson said that we want to end the slave trade and the king has struck down all our laws. And actually he says that this king has enslaved these men. And when he said men, he fully capitalized the word men, capital M, capital E, capital N. The only other word fully capitalized in that entire draft of the declaration was United States of America. The title of our nation was the only other thing fully capitalized. What happened is Jefferson was identifying this, the humanity of the Africans being brought to America as slaves. And he pointed out the king has struck down our laws. We try to stop this. There were multiple states that actually passed laws trying to end the slave trade in their states, trying to end slavery in their states. And the king in 1774 struck down all those laws saying, you can't end slavery. You're, you're part of the British system. That's why we have slaves. It's a British colony. When 
this happened in Pennsylvania, for example, in 1774, when this was struck down, Benjamin Franklin was one of many individuals in Pennsylvania, but a noted founding father, Benjamin Franklin said, well, this is one more reason we should separate from Great Britain because the king won't even let us end slavery in our own colony. This is the position of many founding fathers today we don't know about. But let me give you an even, to me, I think a better thought of story of context. If you look at the American Revolution, John Adams at the end of the revolution said the revolution didn't begin with the shot heard around the world, Lexington Green. It wasn't like the Battle of Bunker Hill or even the Declaration. He said that the American Revolution actually began when the first blood was shed on King Street. Well, King Street was the Boston Massacre back in 1770. John Adams says when that first blood was shed, that's what stirred Americans up to realize we don't want to be under the British anymore because they're firing on their own people. Well, let's go back to the, the Boston Massacre, there were three people that died instantly when the British fired in the crowd. Two people died later because of the wounds they sustained. But of those people who died, those first three people, and really we talk about the first five people, but if you look at those people who died, who was the very first person believed to have been killed in the cause for liberty? It was a black man named Crispus Attucks. Crispus Attucks was a free man at that time who was a patriot fighting with other patriots against the tyranny of the British. John Adams says the American Revolution started that day and it started with the death of a black patriot. Let me take you to the last major battle of the revolution. In 1781, the last major battle is the Battle of Yorktown. This is where George Washington captured Cornwallis. Cornwallis is a commander of all the British forces. How did Washington know where Cornwallis was going to be? There was a black spy inside Cornwallis' camp named James Armistead. And I encourage you, look up the story of James Armistead. We have his story on the Wall Brothers website. It's an amazing story. But the bottom line is, you had a spy who actually, he was working specifically for Lafayette, who was a French major general. And, and Lafayette actually had an entire spy ring made up primarily of black patriots. Because Lafayette knew these black patriots can go into the British camp pretending to be escaped slaves. And while they're there, they can gather intel from the British and come back and report to us. Well, James Armistead found out that Cornwallis was moving to Yorktown, got word to Lafayette, who got word to Washington. Lafayette, you actually can read Lafayette's writings. And there's a letter we wrote to Washington and said, remember I told you that I had a, a spy in the British camp as the best spy I have? He just got word that Cornwallis was moving to Yorktown with several thousand men. This might be the very moment we've been waiting for to capture Cornwallis and end the war. Well, that's exactly what happened. Washington surrounded Yorktown. They captured Cornwallis. The war has ended. But let me point out, the war began with the death of a black patriot. The war was won because of the intelligence of a black patriot. You can't even fully tell the story of the American Revolution without including the black heroes. And yet, when the 1619 Project tells the story of black people in America, what they largely do is they tell the story of black people as if all black people were victims, were not contributors. They weren't victors. They weren't overcomers. They were victims up until MLK. And that's really when you started having rights for the first time in America. It's a very dishonest story looking at this. And this is why at Wall Builders, uh, we've done many articles on this. You can go to wallbuilders.com and you can look up some of the stuff relating to critical race theory or the 1619 Project. Uh, we actually have a new book out called The American Story where we start with Christopher Columbus, go roughly to the end of slavery in America, and we just tell the honest story of America. And the honest story of America is not the story of a perfect nation, but it's a story of how a perfect God used imperfect people in this nation to do really special things. And that's where it's a very different thought than what critical race theory and the 1619 Project teaches today. And if you read these articles that they put in our uh, November newsletter, I forget the exact statistics, but I think it was 86% of the blacks in the northern states were free. And uh, it, it's just not the way it's presented, that if you were black, you were oppressed, and if you were white, the, you were the oppressor. There was so many whites that fought in the Underground Railroad. Correct. There was, what, 600 
50,000 plus Americans that died to free slaves, mm -hmm. which is the only nation that's ever done that. And so anyway, it, it's just wrong on a thousand yeah. levels. Yeah, there's a lot more to that story. As Paul Harvey used to say, this is the rest of the yeah. story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We got any questions? Yes, we do. We've got some good ones coming in. Uh, I, I'd like to start with this one from Ronald on, on Facebook. And he, uh, he says, uh, this is amazing, but he says, our pastor says that someone can't really be a Christian uh, and shouldn't have anything to do with the Constitution. I think he's trying to say it's not Christian to be involved in government. They say the Constitution has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible or the kingdom of God. How do I answer Man. that? <laughs> well, in five minutes. No. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's, try, uh, let's try it shorter. So I tell you what, I'm sure glad you talk fast because he says 10 times as much as I <laughs> So there's a really good book called The Origins of American Constitutionalism done by Professor Donald Lutz. And Donald Lutz uh, led a team of researchers and they decided they wanted to go back and study the Founding Fathers' writings and see what influenced the Founding Fathers the most. They said they were going to go through 15,000 representative writings, but once they had gone through several thousand, they found more than 3,000 quotes and they said, we found enough quotes to do a really good study and see who do the founding fathers reference, right? So if you're reading a letter and the founding fathers have a quote, they said, well, well who were they quoting? And then we can see who was really influencing them. And what they discovered was the number one quoted individual was Charles Montesquieu. Uh, he wrote uh, The Spirit of the Laws. He was a Christian philosopher in the Enlightenment era. Uh, the second most quoted person, 8.7% uh, of their quotes came from uh, William Blackstone, who did Blackstone's Commentaries on the Laws of England. The third most cited source was John Locke. 2.9% of the quotes came from John Locke. So uh, Montesquieu, I think, um, was 9, or no, Montesquieu was 8.3, Blackstone was 7.9 or 7.8. Anyway, those were the top three cited individuals. But what this professor pointed out is they were not the most cited source. The most cited source from the Founding Fathers' writings was the Bible. 34% of all the quotes he found, just in those first several thousand letters, 34% of all the quotes came from the Bible. And he even acknowledged that that number would have largely been higher if they had included the quotes from the Bible that were not in quotation marks. Because there were many times the Founding Fathers referenced the Bible and didn't put a quotation mark around it because they didn't think they had to. He said that number would have been much higher than 34%. Here's why this matters is you actually can go, and, and on our website, we have a lot of information on this. We have, uh, I mentioned our book called The American Story. We have a section on the Constitution where we document what the Founding Fathers wrote about this. In fact, even uh, we have a product called the Founder's Bible, and there's several articles in the Founder's Bible that the Founding Fathers referenced very specific verses as the reason why they were doing what they did. For example, that we have a separation of powers, which was kind of a unique thought at that time, because if you look in Europe under the king, I mean, the king pretty much did whatever he wanted. They said, no, we want to separate powers, and actually, George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, John Adams all wrote the reason we needed to separate powers. They said, because the heart of man is wicked and deceitful and can't be trusted. Now, I don't mind putting you on the spot because I know you know the word of God. Jeremiah 17, 9. Right. They, they literally quoted and referenced the Bible as the reason we had to have a separation of powers because they knew what the word of God taught was true, that we can't trust. If, if you leave it to one person, well, what if that person's heart goes corrupt in that moment and then, and then it's just bad for the nation? So we need to have a separation of powers. So there's checks and balances. So if one branch goes bad, the others can hold them accountable. But here's the point is there, there's actually dozens of examples from scripture that the founding fathers literally quoted the Bible for what they did. And, and actually, if you read the constitution and then you read the Bible, you will find phrases that are almost verbatim from the Bible and the Constitution. The problem is most pastors that hold this position have never read the Constitution and they probably don't know the Bible as well as they think they do. Because mm. if they did, they would recognize, right? It was Isaiah where the Bible says that the Lord is 
our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. That's your three branches of government. The executive, legislative, and judicial, right? Like the, these were literally the ideas the founding fathers referenced in what they did and, and what we said at the beginning. Don't take my word for this, right? Don't believe me. You can get on our website and we actually have links to those original writings and letters where you can see this is what they wrote. So when someone says the Constitution is not related to Christianity or Christianity didn't influence Constitution, it just tells me they don't know nearly as much about history as they think they do and they probably don't know as much about the Constitution or the Bible as they probably should. Another way of saying no. that is people will say the Constitution and all this is totally secular, has nothing to do with God, and that is just absolutely untrue. It was birthed out of Christianity. Right. And there's so many statements that I've read from your, from you guys and stuff that if it hadn't have been for the first great awakening, we wouldn't have a United States. That is, that's correct. It was born in revival. That's correct. Which I think we're going to talk about some in November. I absolutely. A little plug. Y'all need to come back in November, Amen. right, and see what's going on. There's a lot there. That's Amen. right. That's right. All right. Well, here's another question. Uh, by the way, before I move on, uh, Tim and his dad, David, both teach in the Practical Government School at Karis Bible College two or three times a year. And this is a sample of some of the stuff you can get. It's just amazing Amen. teaching. You can't get anywhere else. But Molly on chat, she asked this question, Tim. How can we get back to paper ballots only and no electronic iPad voter registration database scanner yada, yada, yada. What are we going to do about our uh, election system? Yeah, so th there's already some states moving in that direction, mm -hmm. and it really has to be done at the local level, the state level, more than anything else, where we, we know that, um, you know, HB1, where they wanted to take over federal government, take over all the elections, uh, and some states have already moved in a very dangerous direction, uh, where you have states like California, there's some states that said we're already going to do all mail-in ballots, right, don't even show up in person, don't bother anymore. They're only making it easier for fraud to happen in this election process. But why we should be hopeful that we can get involved and make a difference is if you back up to 2018, when Ron DeSantis was running for governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis actually won the governor of Florida, but he didn't know for over or approximately five weeks before they finished counting all the votes because kind of like the presidential election recently, they kept finding more and more votes in these different Democrat-controlled precincts and counties. They kept finding more ballots. And so Ron DeSantis, when he finally was elected governor, and remember, Florida used to be known as a toss-up state, right? I mean, all the way back to the 2000 election, when you had the hanging chad scenario, Florida was a toss-up state, and that's the way they were always known. Ron DeSantis got involved and he said, you know, we, we need to do something to clean up this election process. So he went to those areas where Democrat controlled precincts and counties and he told the individuals in charge of the election process, you're turning in your resignation, you're done um, because of what happened. And, and right, didn't even necessarily accuse them of corruption, just said, if, if you can't get the job done, it takes you five weeks to get the job done, when everybody else was able to get it done on election night, you don't need this job. So he went in and shored up things in the election process. And then actually he championed legislation for their state legislature to pass things that they were going to do a voter ID and they were going to do a signature check on mail-in ballots and that they passed a law that required that all votes had to be counted and turned in by a certain time that evening. And when you look at the 2020 presidential election, everybody thought conventional wisdom said Florida is going to be a toss up state. It wasn't even close to a toss-up state. President Trump won by more than 700,000 votes in Florida or around that in Florida because when they cleaned up the system, they actually were able to remove a lot of corruption. And this is something that can be done. In fact, one of the things, the, the, the battle's happening in Georgia right now. Uh, 
very sadly, we have several friends in Georgia, uh, actually some congressmen friends in Georgia, um, some state reps, some state senators in Georgia that are friends. We talked to one of our congressmen friends um, after the two Senate seats went Democrat. And there was a lot of suspicious activity happening around those elections as well. And we asked our congressman friend, hey, what can y'all do to handle these elections? And he said something that was very sad. He said, you know, we've known for a couple decades that corruption was happening in Atlanta, which is right. That's, that's where a lot of the vote counting was late and delayed. And that's where the, the Senate seats were actually won. Ultimately, it was in Atlanta. He said, we knew there was corruption in Atlanta for several decades, but it never kept us from winning, so we never thought we needed to solve the problem because mm -hmm. we're still winning. Now, Americans are beginning to see there is a problem because you actually have people on both sides of the aisle who are acknowledging, like, basic voter ID laws are not actually racist, right? Talk to the vast majority of black Americans and they'll tell you they don't think it's racist to have to show an ID before you vote because you show an ID before you do many things in American life. That's just what, like, that's not racist with it being said. What you do is you get involved at the state and local level. You can get involved and you can be a poll watcher, right? You can get involved and, and, and you can help be someone when they're counting ballots. You can help oversee that where you actually can register and get involved locally to make sure on the local level that things happen the right way. But also you can petition your state elected officials, your state representatives, um, depending on the state you live in and what that looks like. But you can petition them that, hey, guys, we, we need to do something to secure these elections because this is something that even though the woke leftists are arguing that this is all racist, the vast majority of Americans, like it's, it's over 70% of Americans don't think these basic voter laws are racist, but if these state reps don't feel the pressure, then they won't bring that kind of legislation to the forefront. The good news is, just like Florida got turned around, a lot of these states can get turned around. We can secure elections where we can have confidence in elections once again, but it takes people getting involved in the local level and getting involved for more than just like a weekend. One of the challenges for a lot of Christians is we think if we show up on the weekend, right, we're going to show up and let our voice be heard. Well, we did our job and we go home. No, you have to keep showing up over and over and over again, because what we know politically is it's not just who had the biggest team. It's who had the biggest team that consistently showed up. That's what makes a difference. And if we're not consistent, it won't make a difference. Well, let me ask if an uh, average soccer mom goes to a city council meeting, could you petition them for Absolutely. paper ballots? I mean, is that how you do it? or you, so it, How do you do it? It's different in different states. Uh, and actually, you could speak to Colorado probably on this mm -hmm. on some level. But it is different in different states. Nonetheless, yes, we're seeing the power of right the soccer mom. But the power of, of parents in general, when they're showing up at school board meetings, they're showing up at city council meetings, things are changing right now. It's one of the reasons we think, right? We can just show that we're in an awakening. People are waking up to what's happening and God is using normal people like us. God is using moms and dads, right? Stay at home moms, soccer moms, business, whoever. God is using normal people to be the solution to these problems and showing up is what makes a difference. Okay, but you got people who are motivated. I mean, how do they do it? Is city council the way you do it or do you go to a commissioner or what do you do? Well, changing election laws is going to be uh, at two places. One is going to be the state legislature, and the second one is going to be your county election uh, process. Can so the county operate independent of the state? On some things, like, for example, in Colorado, you have uh, voting machines, Dominion voting machines in, all, in every county but two, and that's because those two counties said, no, we don't want those machines here, and they had the power to re resist that. Now, 
can they say, oh, we're not going to do paper ballots? You know, it's just going to depend on, on how much authority the state has allowed them to retain. But uh, that's going to vary from state to state. But they need to put pressure on their elected officials that you want meaningful election reform now. And yes. uh, I would begin with my <clears throat> state representative, state senator, and also my uh, county commissioners is where I'd go for that. Well, and this is where also, too, just... A lot of people are fired up and want to do something. If you just start, just show up to the first school board meeting, yeah. show up to the first city council meeting, show up and just, just listen. Don't even say anything. Actually, you could be an intercessor in that moment, right? Just go and right. pray in that moment and pray that if there's darkness, it gets exposed, right? Pray for what's going on, that if there's people there, they ask good questions, but just show up and see how the process works. It's not as intimidating as a lot of people think. It's just it's scary because it's the fear of the unknown. We, we, I, I don't know what that would look like. What do I do? How does it work? Just show up to the first meeting and find out. But when we start showing up, all of a sudden, the people who are on the school board, on the city council, or our local commissioners, whoever they are, when they realize that people care and they're getting involved, it holds their feet to the fire. And so if it's the good guys, it gives them courage and boldness to stand up and fight for what is right. And if it's people who aren't on the right side, then it shows them that the people are opposing what they're doing and it puts pressure on them to change to do the right thing. Or it can let you know that that's people you need to replace in the next election, that I need to replace that school board member, I need to replace that city council member or county commissioner or whoever it might be. But it starts by just showing up. Well, we're nearly out of time, but tell them real quickly about wall builders again and how, what you got there. Yeah, so wallbuilders.com is our website. I would love for you guys to go and check it out. A lot of things you can find there, a lot of resources. Uh, we really have been blessed that we have an incredible collection of American history. And actually, we write articles on a constant basis. And the articles we write changes frequently based on what the modern crazy things <laughs> being said are, right? We, we didn't think at some point we'd have to defend against things like critical race theory or the 1619 Project or uh, defend Christopher Columbus or a lot of these people. When these attacks come, we try to write articles to tell the truth of the story. And sometimes the truth is that these were certainly maybe not really good guys in every level, but maybe, maybe the story is different than we think. And more times than not, they were really honorable people who are being just smeared because we don't know the truth of history. So wallbuilders.com, lots of resources available. We're also all over social media. We have a YouTube channel, but lots of resources, wallbuilders.com. And you also have a radio program. We do. We have a daily radio program, also uh, downloadable as a podcast. So mm -hmm. lots of ways for people to hear more. Awesome. So we're just about out of time. Man, you're, you make me tired the way you talk. I used to talk like this, believe it or not. I've slowed down a lot. But anyway, we're glad that you're with us. We're, we want to thank uh, CTN once again for carrying this on their network. Uh, what a blessing that is. And we want to encourage you that we now have our phone center open 24-7 at 719-635-1111. And you can go there and receive prayer, get ministry materials uh, anytime. You can go to our uh, truthandliberty.net uh, uh, site and you can also get this program archived. You can share this with other people, watch other programs. So anyway, it's just a great resource. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we, we love having you, Tim. It's awesome. So again, thank you for being with us. Remember, we do this every Monday night at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. And we have on some of the greatest uh, people sharing things. I tell you, I've gotten an education. It would be a blessing. So make sure you c come back and join us and also share it with other people. Yeah. This would be awesome for you to get other people. We have tens of thousands of people watching this. So thank you again. God bless you. We'll see you again next Monday night for another Truth and Liberty Livecast. Join us next time for the Truth and Liberty broadcast.
Find tonight's episode and related articles and links at truthandliberty.net. Truth and Liberty is viewer supported. If you'd like to help us continue our live casts, you can make a donation at truthandliberty.net. 